before we get started, we just want to thank one of our new reviewers, Ari on Facebook, left us an excellent review. And thank you so much, Ari, that you're, you know, enjoying the show. You took time out of your day to leave us a review. We really appreciate it. We sure do. We also want to thank Elise for sharing one of our posts on Instagram. Lots of people share our posts on Instagram. We can see that information, but if you don't tag us, we can't actually see who did it. So if you all want to start tagging us when you share it, we will thank you also because social shares, social shares, <laughs> really. Say, say that three times. No, I don't, can't. It's don't impossible. Actually do that. No, no. <laughs> um, but those really help. They help get the word out about our podcast. So we are definitely going to start like giving giving upfront thanks to folks who share our stuff on the social medias too. If you want to talk about us with your friends and like send us an email being like, I told my friends about you. Well, thank you for that too. We just love it when you help broaden our audience and help the world become a queerer, better place. So with that. The Gaily Prophet operates under the assumption that you've read the books. If you haven't read the books, go and read them. They're wonderful. And then come back to us. Otherwise, you're going to be spoiled. And that's your choice in this world. Gay people love puns. I'm dead. <laughs> we have to stop this podcast. Oh, this book causes Satanism is left for us to rant about. There is nothing straight about plum velvet. <laughs> you shouldn't have been drinking when I said that. <laughs> Monocles are impractical, but hot. I don't for a second believe that she is a straight person. I mean, I'm definitely here for bisexual Minerva McGonagall. Let's talk about <laughs> Harry Potter. Hello, and welcome to The Gaily Prophet, a podcast or two queer IRL witches where you read Harry Potter and talk about it. I am America's favorite Griffin dandy, Lark Malachi Gray. And I am Griffin Dyke extraordinaire, Jesse Blount. And we are talking about Chapter 5 of Chamber of Secrets of the Whomping Willow. In brief, Harry has a chill month with the Weasleys, the last time for literally the rest of this book. Harry and Ron, on September 1st, can't enter Platform 9 and 3 quarters and decided to take the flying car to Hogwarts. This is a terrible idea, as they hit the Whomping Willow on arriving to Hogwarts, lose the car, and are reprimanded by Snape, Dumbledore, and McGonagall for doing this dumbass thing. The Gryffindors, of course, are thrilled. Accurate. So before we get into today's headlines, I want to talk about the shirt that I wear. Okay, yes, so please finally, tell me. I'm finally going to show you my shirt that oh I just got god. today. Okay. Can you see it? Oh my god, it's a platypus! It is a platypus that was a t-shirt, but I turned it into a muscle tank because gays have co-opted the trademark on muscle tanks. If you are not gay and are wearing one, you need to take it off and donate it. Yeah, um, word. so but i wanted to talk about it because i realized that somehow we made it through all of book one and the first four episodes of book two without talking about what our patroni are patronuses Mm. are and my patronus is a platypus maybe all 
non-binary trans people's patroni are platypi <laughs> seems <laughs> like a possibility but the platypus has been my patronus for like since even before i came out uh yeah and i want to know what yours is because i have no idea i mean i feel like this i don't know i feel like i go back and forth because i feel like the obvious answer is that it would be a cat of some kind because of my deep and long-held love of cats Mm-hmm. But, I don't know. I think it might be, like... No, it's a lie. It would totally just be... It would totally be a cat. <laughs> it would be... It would just be, like... It would be something very cliche, like a leopard or something. That's hot. That's... I mean, no offense to house cats or anything, but, like... I think a leopard is better than a house cat for a Patronus. Yeah, you gotta go for a big uh, apex apex cats. Even though, I mean, you know what? You don't have to always be an apex predator on your thing. Sometimes you can have something, you know, that is a deer <laughs> or something. As we often That's see. true. Um, it's also very upsetting that Umbridge's Patronus are like kittens. I take great offense by that. Do, do you take great Umbridge with that? Oh my god. <laughs> 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 I win this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Great. I, listeners, am eating tequila-soaked pineapple, so it's going to be a good day. And so, Patronus is established. We start this newspaper off with today's headlines. Ministry accused of having absolutely no comprehensive policy regarding the restriction for underage sorcery. Investigation (laughs) reveals that its enforcement is completely arbitrary. (laughs) (sighs) Sure is. Sure is. We turn to the front page where we are introduced immediately to the information that the month that Harry has spent with the Weasleys has been the best month of his life. And then we all draw the saddest emojis in our books all over the place. It, it, it is like, it's so sad. And then it's like, he's so unhappy the rest of the book. Maybe even more so. I mean, not maybe even more so, because I mean, I guess the rest of the books aren't really great for Harry either. But it's just like, such a steep from like being like, this is the best summer of my life to being like, Fuck everything at Hogwarts. <laughs> fuck all these kids. <laughs> yeah. And like for real, fuck all those kids, but we'll get there. Yeah. You had some more stuff on that, right? Or do you not? A little bit. I guess this sort of goes into my into my point where it's like, because of this, Harry explicitly says that he feels jealous of Ron's family. Mm-hmm. Which is, I mean, it makes sense, definitely. But I'm also like, LOL, and then you just marry into this family, so. <laughs> like, like not very long in the future. Can I just make a Little Women reference really quick? You sure can. Because there's that whole thing where Laurie wants to marry Joe, and then he marries Amy. And while he's courting Amy, he's like, I need to be part of your family. And she's like, I actually want to be married for, like, me and not my family. And he's like, of course it's you I want. But we're all like, mm, is it? 
And I kind of feel like Ginny should have more of her guard up about this situation where she's like, are you really actually into me? Or like, do you just want to keep coming to my house after like you're an adult? Which like he totally could have, even if he didn't marry Ginny. But yeah, I think that's also a very, a very reasonable thing. Also, I have to admit, I have never read or seen the movie Little Women. (laughs) What are you doing with your life? Baby Christian Bale and Winona Ryder? Fix yourself. Go watch it. I know. We're we're stopping this recording and you have to go watch Little Women and then you can come back and talk to me. No. I will. I will. It is so. Susan Sarandon, Claire Danes. Like, what are you doing? I don't know. I don't. I leave my sight. <laughs> it's like so feminist and great. It's oh my god. I know. I don't know how. I don't know how this has happened. I will watch it. So, listeners, you should like at Jesse about needing to watch Little Women right now. <laughs> feel like baby christian bale is like one of my queer roots <laughs> so also baby christian bale with winona Ryder. like no it's a pretty good uh it's a pretty she wears good a top uh, hat at one point you know how i feel about man. a top hat i sure i sure do sure do i will i will watch i will find time to watch little women i'll make it great happen. okay is it is it on streaming anywhere i'm sure you can rent it on amazon yeah I'll I'll Venmo you the two ninety nine. Venmo me three dollars yes, to rent it. To yes, I will. <laughs> okay, moving on to Harry Potter content. So it's just like slipped in there that like the last night before they go to King's Cross, like Molly like conjures an elaborate dinner, and I'm just like, I just want to know more about how this works Mm -hmm. like how cooking and cleaning works in the witching world i'm just like i just want i just want the rules of magic in this world like for fuck's sakes yeah i also underlined that and was like she conjured it like what is that what is that yeah probably took her five minutes i feel like molly's playing a long game i'm so (laughs) frazzled Every, I'm so busy. Everything takes me so much time. And then she's, like, secretly just, like, I don't know, actually this, like, very famous, like, romance novel author or something like that. And no one knows because she just is, like, writing in her, you know, all that extra time. I feel like there's literally so many stories of women who are like that that I'm like, yes, that is 110% Molly Weasley. <laughs> so... But then there would be there'd be more money though, unless she's just like hiding it. And then when the kids get married, she's like, "Here's your wedding gift." Oh, I've just been saving for so long when you got married, and it's like, yeah, could be. I want to know. I want to know more about Molly Weasley's rich inner life. <laughs> yeah. My next note. I don't know why it's so high up in my notes because it comes at the end of the chapter. But I guess I didn't want us to get like too far into an episode without talking about masturbation because. <laughs> We've set a precedent for ourselves. Literally, I just started editing the last episode, and we did not make it three minutes into the episode before we were talking about porn. Anyway, so I just want to say Hogwarts has so much more respect for adolescents and where they're at 
in their development than any boarding school or like college dorm that I've ever heard of. These kids need four poster beds with curtains because they're kids and they're like, they need to jerk off. Like they need that privacy. So just good job Hogwarts. I guess is what I want to say. And I think that like, this is a situation where the muggle world could really benefit from taking a tip from the witching world. Right. It's like, you know, you throw on a silencing charm, like no one knows what you're doing and you're, you have the curtains mm-hmm. closed and your four poster bed. Also, it's probably warm as fuck. Cause if it's like, you have like the velvet, I imagine there are velvet curtains around the bed. I'm like, I want, I want velvet curtains around my bed. I'm like, Oh, it'd be so much warmer mm-hmm. yeah. yes it is nice that they have that like sort of like extra bit of privacy I feel like we don't ever really read Harry like taking advantage of that though I mean obviously not him masturbating because it's a children's story <laughs> but just even being like fuck all of this bullshit I have to deal with I'm just gonna like sit in my cocoon <laughs> in my bed I feel like we do hear about Neville taking advantage of that though Yeah. next front page is so they're at King's Cross. And Ron and Harry are just standing around. And there's all these people whispering about animal abuse, about Hedwig's freaking out in her cage. And I'm just like, if only they knew <laughs> what was happening to these owls. <laughs> but also it just like, it takes... Hedwig is in her cage until the end of this book on accident when her cage like opens up. And I'm like, why? Like, there's no reason for her... To be in her cage for this for the entire duration of this chapter. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I feel like in like the first episode, you were like, owls are the only animal that are ever is ever in a cage, and like they're the one thing that you could just be like, I'm going to Hogwarts, see you there, right? <laughs> like, why, why, why? They're like so thirsty and miserable in this car, and they're just like, yeah, Hedwig, stay in the cage. And- Mm-mm. Okay, so I'm going to praise Snape. You ready? You braced? <laughs> I'm ready. Snape's you wanted to arrive with a bang joke is so good. It's so good. <laughs> and I know that he was like really proud of himself when he said that. And I just am here for it. I feel like Snape spends a lot of time ready to use a lot of things that he thinks mm-hmm. in his mind to be like, falling his face of someone is going to be great. Right, yeah. He's like, ex- it's like inspecting the grounds and he sees the car and the tree or whatever and he's like, mm, with a bang. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Great. <laughs> uh, next I have a gay for McGonagall watch. In which she eyes them like a wrathful eagle. And I am into it. Yeah, yeah no, that's hot. It's so hot. Uh, <laughs> I'm sad that they spent that entire car ride being like miserably thirsty and sweaty. We'll get into the sweaty part later in health and science. But then McGonagall does not give them any water. She gives them pumpkin juice. And I just wrote, no... You, you, you know, I noticed that, and I'm like, Laura's definitely going to bring this up. So, yeah, it's like... <laughs> You're like, anytime someone needs water and doesn't get water, Lark is going to be on top of that shit. Yeah, because it's like, 
these kids clearly need water. Also, Harry is like a knot on his head and Ron is bleeding and they're like, can someone just patch these kids up? Like, the fuck? No. So they're like dehydrated and bl- and injured. Yeah. Welcome to Editorials, where we rant about stuff. Yeah, I just... So many... There's just so many issues with the whole situation about Harry and Ron being like, oh, we'll just fly this flying car, which clearly has never been flown for, like, what, six hours straight or whatever the fuck long it takes when they get to Hogwarts. And they're like, it'll be fine. And I'm like... And having been in shitty cars like this, where it's like, you should be glad that you made it to Hogwarts without it exploding (laughs) or, like, crashing into the lake. Like, seriously. Yeah. It's, like, such a bad decision. There were just, like, a bunch of times when I was taking my notes or my whole note was either why or dude. Like, because what is going on? I'm 12. Imagining myself at 12. And, like, I have been separated from my parents. And I'm, like, panicking is there any world in which I'm like, oh, I have the keys in my pocket. I should just go drive home. No. No. You just wait. Like, Ron's like, oh, it's fine. My parents can apparate home. No big deal. But, like, Ron, your parents can apparate. If they're stuck behind the wall, they can apparate out from behind the wall and find you. Stay still. Did no one ever teach you what to do if you get lost? Like, I mean, no. Probably probably not. Probably because he'd never fucking left his house until he was 11 years old. But like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even flying the car back to his house would have made more sense. Totally. As opposed to just being like, oh, we'll just, you know, we'll just fly there. It'll be fine. The only explanation that I can think of is that Ron is concerned about getting in trouble from, like, missing the train or, like, whatever, and not thinking about just, like, waiting. Because it's like, oh, the longer we're not on our way to school, the worse it's going to be. And, of course, Harry has no reason to trust adults to help him, which is correct, so he's not going to be like, let's just... His instinct isn't to be like, let's ask an adult to help me, because up until this point, he's like, adults will do shit for me. So, like... So I feel like Harry was going to agree to, like, a plan that didn't involve adults. Ron probably should have not suggested taking the car to go all the way to Hogwarts, but I'm assuming he was panicking. Because, right, the minute you, the second you think about it, you're like, wait, this doesn't actually make, this, like, is a terrible idea. such a bad idea. Ron says his dad's gonna kill him. Yeah, dude, your dad should be so fucking mad at you. Like, what even? Yeah. And then, I want to see what the exact passage is, because there, let's... Oh, when Snape finds them, it says he was smiling in a way that told Harry that he and Ron were in very deep trouble. I just wrote, duh, because right? did they think that if they just like landed gracefully on the lawn and then just like showed up and the fucking car was at Hogwarts, they wouldn't be in very deep trouble? Was there like... yeah ever and like a moment that they were like oh it'll be fine we won't get in trouble for this of course you're in fucking trouble you flew a car to hogwarts that a bunch of people saw and i'm like i feel like i I was thinking about this about like why snape specifically 
And I feel like considering the events at the end of book one, Dumbledore is probably like, someone's had to be like, what the fuck's going on with Harry? We have no idea where he is, but like, maybe it's Death Eaters. Who the fuck knows? Like, you know, even with Witch NSA, like, it's very conceivable that like, not a lot of people know, like, what has happened to them, you know? I mean, we'll get to Witch NSA. I think that everyone knows, but I think Snape volunteered because he wanted to be the one to get them in trouble. McGonagall is in charge of running the sorting and Dumbledore has to like make speeches. And so they couldn't go. And then Snape was just like, I'll do it. And they were like, thanks. Remember that time you tried to save Harry? You're a good guy. And, you know, so I think that's why Snape. I don't think they got in enough trouble. You want to talk about that? Because they did not get in enough trouble. Yeah, and it's like, I feel like there's another... Snape brings up how it's, a like, you know, ridiculous that, like, Ron has done this when his dad is literally works in the Ministry for Misuse of Magical Artifacts, and it didn't occur to Harry. It's like, oh, fuck. Arthur could get in trouble for this bullshit. It's like, you guys literally didn't think about anyone else being affected by this choice. Do 12-year-olds think about the impacts of their actions on other people? I mean, no. Not really. But they should have thought more, like, I get even if 12-year-olds are very, like, self-preservation motivated or whatever, like, their, like, we will get in trouble meter should have been much higher for this situation. Right. And I mean, I think you're right about 12-year-olds maybe not necessarily being, like, that totally self-aware, but it's sort of like, I don't know, it feels like if if your, like, dad is a cop, and you do a thing to, like, break the law, it's, like, you have to recognize at some point that, like, if your dad is a cop, then, like, it... Oh, well, I mean, maybe not, because you're not getting in trouble, because then the U.S. is a terrible... Yeah, no, that's the opposite of what's Anyway. <laughs> fuck. I'm trying to think of a, like, example. But, like, you know what I mean? Like, if you grow up real, like, you know, having a general awareness of, like, what your parents do, and then you doing a thing that could, like, negatively impact them, it might be a little bit more front of mind than, like, this, like, an abstract, like... Oh, the car could have fallen out of the sky. We could have died. Like, clearly they're not thinking about that, you know? Right. But just, like, there was no... It's very similar to them, like, going to rescue Harry, where they're like, you'll just come down in the morning and be like, look who turned up! Where it's like, that was never going to work. There was no possible outcome of this thing that they're doing that didn't result in them getting in trouble. You know? Right. So, like, what were they going to do? Just be like, oh, yeah, you didn't see us on the train. Like, look who turned up in the night. Like, here we are. You know, like... <laughs> we hitchhiked all the way here from London to, uh, you know, Hogsmeade. Right. And exactly. We don't even know where Hogsmeade is. We have to follow the fucking train because we didn't, like, oh my God. we don't have any idea. I mean, obviously this whole thing is all about you know, setting up plot-wise, but it really just doesn't. It really doesn't. Also, this all would have been solved if they fucking had a guard or, like, a concierge or something from the witching world in King's mm. Cross on mm-hmm. September 1st. Like, again, so many things that could be avoided if you had one person being like, oh, hello, wayward children with an owl. Let me just take you to this office and help find your parents. And then it's like, here you go, into the fireplace to, you know, Hogwarts or whatever the fuck. Like, yep. Just pay pay someone. Pay someone to do that job. Yep. That's a really good point. Also, 
I find it very hard to believe that they were the only ones running late and that it was like only like Harry and Ron were going to be the last Hogwarts children onto the platform. Like, I don't know. That just seems really unlikely. It seems like there would be like kind of a cluster of people who were like, fuck, we're really running late. Especially all those people who had to drive all the way from Scotland to King's Cross to send their kids back to Scotland. <laughs> so. Right, right. It's like if you've ever been on a bus or a train, it's like people show up like while the while you're you should be leaving and they're like, No wait and you're just like mm-hmm. having said all that, still a better way to get anywhere than flu powder. <sighs> Accurate. Well <laughs> maybe. So Arthur drives him to King's Cross. So he knows how to drive a car, but doesn't know how money works. And I just want to point this out about... I am very confused by his gaps in muggle knowledge, I guess. Like, driving a car is really fucking mm-hmm. hard. Figuring out how money works is something that, like, five-year-olds can do. So it's just very... I mean, I guess, unless he's a thing about math, I don't want to say that, like, not being able to do math is, like, means you're a failure as an adult. I'm not trying to say that. That I, I don't think we need to be like concerned that Arthur's dealing with like a learning disability that we need to be like mindful of. This is just a very like ridiculous aspect of his relationship with like muggle stuff. And I guess part of it, I guess that the car is like sentient, maybe you don't need to like drive it per se. That is a question that I had. Because like Harry's like, Can you fly this? And Ron's like, Oh yeah, totally. So, you know. And then he just, like, taps his wand a lot on the <laughs> dashboard, which is this whole other thing we need to talk about, because the fuck? Yeah, it's weird. It's very, like, I don't know, it feels very intentional, the things that Arthur is not good at versus the things that he's good at. I mean, I, I, mean, I feel like a lot of it is probably for, like, comedic timing, but, like, yeah, I mean, driving a car is super complex. Mm-hmm. This is not, like, super a rant, but just, like as the car is dying like more and more and like clearly things are not good and they continue to fly and they're still they say a mile in the air speaking of having anxiety like my heart is in my throat when i'm reading those i'm like get down from there get down go land on top of the train for the love of god like don't just like cross your fingers and hope for the best a mile is far we talked about yeah, death by falling in the last book, you guys. This is, of all the poor decisions, continuing to stay above the clouds in a car that is clearly dying is the poorest of the decisions that they've made. It's very yeah. frightening. And it's not even like a plane where, okay, so I know about this because I have really bad plane anxiety, so I need to know things about airplanes. Like, even if, like, the airplane engines shut off, like, because they have wings, it's not just going to drop like a stone. It's going to kind of, like, coast down mm-hmm. for the most part. They're in a square car. If it's something, it's just, it would just mm-hmm. drop like you would, like, you, what you would think airplanes do, but they don't do is what a car would do. It would just be a free form drop into the dirt. Which and is not like, what happens. Which is weird. Yeah. Maybe it has invisible wings. All of them. <laughs> No, I don't, I mean, okay. I don't think so because Arthur doesn't know how airplanes work. Because that's his thing that he wants to know but doesn't. True. But that doesn't mean that he wouldn't just affix invisible airplane wings to the car because it's a flying car and he thinks it's funny. Hmm. That's fair. But, like, he parks in the street. 
I'm just saying, given what we see <laughs> of the car, once it dies, the way that it falls, it clearly has something that's making it aerodynamic. So. That's true. I don't know what that something is, but there is something. Magic. Correct. <laughs> okay. <I'm sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, there must be something because yeah, that's not how it should do how it, those things. Should no. Be. And then my last editorial is just I fucking okay. I don't like Arthur lying to Molly about the car, mm-hmm. and I very especially don't like him looping Harry in on the lie. Mm-hmm. I think it's really inappropriate. And I don't approve at all. But also Molly probably knows, though. Like, as we discussed however many episodes ago, the car is, like, outside, like, four or five feet in width. Like, she's when she gets inside, she has to realize that you can't fit seven people no, in she comments on it and is like, well, muggles really know their stuff, don't they? Which I had in corrections, but we're talking about it, so let's just talk about it. Like, she... That's ridiculous. She would not be fooled by that. Wait, do you want... Do you want to go to corrections? We can go to corrections, but we're already talking about it, so let's just talk about it. Alright, yeah. Like, there's just no way that she would come out and be like, oh, five kids in the back seat and three people in the front seat and all of our luggage and all these animal cages. Definitely, I accept this. No, no, like I know that they don't—they aren't big right. on logic in the witching world, but like, come on, Molly Weasley's a smart fucking human being. Like, I am right. offended by the idea that she would say, "Wow, Muggles are really smarter than we give them credit for," or whatever the fuck she says about this car, and not like Arthur, you bewitched the car, you know. Yeah, it functions the same as the tents, which are clearly magically enhanced to put an entire house into a tent. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's really too bad that we never have a scene where a witch is, like, watching or talking about the TARDIS. It's not (laughs) fair. I want that. I'm, I'm sure... I don't know. I have this, like, pet theory that there must be some sort of, like, secret muggle student union that happens at hogwarts where the muggle-born kids are like let's talk about how much we miss the internet and also what the fuck are these people doing like i feel like that must exist um and i just because i feel like right like no one's making it bigger on the inside joke it's like somewhere there is a muggle student screaming being like how it is really i feel like what we see is this a witch nsa point Maybe. I feel like what we see is that Muggleborns are just like fully in the witching society. Like Hermione says shit like all those things that Muggles use as replacements for magic. About things like phones and like wiretaps. Yeah. It's like no, you. that's not a replacement for magic. That's fucking better than magic. Like, not wiretaps, but yeah. like, because they clearly, the NSA is thriving. Yeah. <laughs> but. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think Hermione has totally like brought all into it. And I feel like, 
And I feel like it makes sense for her character through the course of the book to try to learn as much as possible. Like, maybe later in life, she's sort of like, okay, with you guys, but flu powder is the worst. Also, phones are cool. And, and the internet. To, like, the internet. internet. Like, a search function. Like, there isn't even, like, any kind of, like, categorization in the library. At the very least, she should just be like, can we implement Dewey Decimal or some other kind of some kind, something in the yeah. library? Card catalog. Like, something. Yeah. But, like, so, yeah, so I think Hermione is all in, but I can't imagine that all Muggle-born students, because I feel like I would be like, okay, this is cool, but can I get a Snickers bar and not this weird, gross candy? What? Like, something? I mean, we see Dean <laughs> hanging on to soccer, football, whatever. Mm-hmm. But that's, like, the only thing that we ever see. We never see Dean being, like, in my last school. <laughs> we had this wild system in the library where we could just look things up by subject I mean, I feel like if he cared about that, and I mean, he cares a lot about sports, so I feel like that is why there's like mention of him having arguments about Quidditch versus soccer. So, so I feel like it must happen to varying degrees across the student body. I mean, like but Hermione loves know. knowledge. Why would she not be like? Because there was the internet in the '90s. It wasn't like it wasn't great. Oh, but is this set earlier in the '90s than? When we were reading it, I think this is like 1993. So there, the internet was not a thing that everybody had access to then. Yeah. I mean, if her dad was hip and had like a, like a Mac, like a very old school Mac. But even then you weren't really using, like the internet was like almost nothing at that point. You definitely couldn't look things up. You were mostly just word processing and playing very slow games. Yeah, so according to the Harry Potter lexicon, uh, book two takes place in 92 slash 93. So, yeah, it would be a very rudimentary internet. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, I still think, though, like, Hermione would have been familiar with, like, the copy machine and, like, the card catalog. (laughs) So. Um, And I just realized how much Hermione has in common with Dorothy Ann from uh, the Magic School Bus. Which is the, she's the at my last school one, right? Yeah. The one who's constantly like, we never did this nonsense at my last school where things were logical. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like we should get a lot more of that from Hermione. (laughs) Yeah. Welcome to Corrections, where we correct stuff. I would like to correct 100% of how everything around this Harry and Ron stealing the car situation goes down. I have, I have a list, a numbered list. Everything about it, everything about it is wrong. Starting with the fact that Molly would not have let Harry and Ron come in after both her and Arthur were through the gate. That wouldn't have happened. When they didn't come through, I already said this, but, um, when they didn't come through and she presumably couldn't get back out she would have just apparated out like who she would not have given a fuck what muggle saw her appear out of nowhere her child was missing yeah that's the biggest thing about all of this like two 12 year old children were missing when two 12 year old children are missing things are a much bigger deal than this is playing out where it's just like oh yeah Fred and George and Percy and Jenny all just, like, got on the train and went to Hogwarts and who even knows what Molly and Arthur did. 
and like whatever like no the other kids would have also not been on the train like they would have been freaking out molly and arthur would have been freaking out like they left these two kids in a full train station full of people and they never came through the barrier like magical law enforcement like whatever they would have had every fucking parent on that platform out looking through king's cross for these kids like there was never this is just incorrect this is not how it happens when kids disappear yeah and it's it's incorrect for molly's characterization in which we know that like she is mama bear essentially and like like she wouldn't she she wouldn't have left without like she would have been to up with like Ron hadn't said goodbye. She would have been to up the minute they all went through it. It's just like where's Ron and, yeah. and Harry? Especially you know? because like Harry is a wanted man. You know, <laughs> like he may be yeah. twelve, but like he's clearly in danger all the time. Like there's not. It's not like she would have just been like oh, but like there's a reason for her to be yeah. like they may have been kidnapped. Like they might be in serious trouble. Like there's always that risk when it's Harry. So like, right? No, there, there. It would have been fucking chaos. Yeah, and they just, they just like, really like, well, nothing, nothing. What? Is no one's looking for them, or like they're just like, well, Hogwarts will go look for them. Like I don't even, I don't understand fuck all about what is happening here. But I guarantee you, it's wrong. Yeah, and I mean the fact that like none of these things have happened is really just sort of like clearly serving the purpose for them to like be in this car but it's like it doesn't make any sense with like any with like this this shouldn't you know why this happened because fucking jk rowling didn't want to write the sorting hat song it's like the whole reason that we have them flying to hogwarts is so that she wouldn't have to write the sorting hat song for this book i'm sure she could have come up with another way yeah also just don't have the sorting hat have a song i don't know just don't have it have a song but she already established that it has a song yeah, so it's just like it's a pretty major correction, and I we've already established that like the entire plot of this book doesn't work, but it just keeps getting more and more holes. I feel like as we go, yeah, I think she's like I feel like it's it seems like a lot of characterization and, and even like in world established logic is sort of brushed away to shoehorn the plot in. In the last book, it was, like, where all the places where this was happening, we could be like, oh, Dumbledore did it. Like, that's not the case in this yeah. book. Like, these plot holes are, we don't have anywhere to pin them to be like, oh, well, if this, then the plot makes sense. Like, these, it just doesn't make sense, which is a bummer. I feel like, in general, like, book two is, like, one of my least favorites, and I feel like... and. Book three is, like, one of my most favorites. And I feel like when you first read book two and then you get to book three, you're just, like, book three just seems like such a breath of fresh air because it's it makes so much sense. And there's, like, and it's, like, the plotting comes a lot from the strong characterizations and not making the characters fit to the mm. plot. Wow, so. well said. I have a lot of love for book three, which will just be never-ending heart eyes and sadness. Yeah. Energy, but... <laughs> but we gotta get through this one first i just wait i just want to like i feel like you just like summed it up so succinctly like in this book she's making the characters fit to the plot is such an accurate way to say that 
fully unrelated. Listeners, just so you know, whatever's happening in terms of lighting in Jesse's house right now, she has a natural one of those like Instagram filter sunlight streak across your face things going on right now. So that's very fancy. Listen, the sun the sun is setting and it's reflecting off of a mirror that I have on the floor of where I'm recording at which is actually kind of in my eye, but I will take you. Yeah, it looks uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm going to but... put my sunglasses on in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> or you could just move uh, the mirror. It's, it's really heavy. I don't know. Like, it's sitting there because we haven't put it up yet. Anyway, I'm just looking at my computer and... You throw a towel over it. it so you don't <laughs> Anyway, you have, you have a authentic no-filter filter going on. It's quite nice, so... Um, just a sort of correction for myself. Um, I don't remember which episode it was, but I was complaining about the inside of the car. But it magically expands, so that's why they could fit Harry's stuff and Hedwig's cage and all that stuff in the other chapters. Yeah, no, it is. It's bigger on the inside. It sure is. Yeah, nope, that's all my corrections. Welcome to the politics section, where we talk about things that are fucked up. All right, so, so you know, Molly, Molly has this line where she like gets in the car and like all the kids are comfortable and like it's just like there's so much room, and then she's like Muggles know more than we can give them credit for, and it's sort of interesting because, so in general, like obviously Muggles and the sort of Tension between muggles and witches is obviously a sort of, like, not very great metaphor for the struggle between, like, you know, marginalized people and, like, white-slash-national supremacy. Um, Which works in varying degrees of effectiveness across this Mm -hmm. entire series. Including in this book, I feel like. But I think what occurred to me in this chapter is that, like... It's it seems very familiar where it's like which like you know the wizarding world has like a pretty like low opinion of like muggles and muggle things, but still enjoy muggle and muggle things like for instance how cool this flying car is, or like the Hogwarts Express, and it feels a little bit just like I don't know if like cultural appropriation is exactly the word that I want to use, but it's just like it's like they feel fine like borrowing things from muggles that works mm-hmm. for them that appeals to them and and the rest of the time it's just like oh these silly muggles and their lack of magic and their to you know them not being people and that we can just torture and murder them indiscriminately mm-hmm. so and it's just like if anyone spent like 10 minutes on the internet you realize that a big part of like say like african-american internet is just being like people really love the cultural the the the, the cultural things that black people make and they love using that, and why people love, like, you know, appropriating that and using it and enjoying it, but, like, don't care about the, like, actual lives and experiences of black people. And it just feels, and this, like, that kind of scene just feels like a bit of a shadow of that, you know, mm-hmm. where it's like, okay, cool, you get to use, like, you know, King's Cross and, like, this, like, you know, the Hogwarts Express and, like, enjoy this, like, flying car, but it's, like, in general, like, muggles are to be feared and or antagonized right you know or like so it's just i feel like that felt very true to form of like all of the ways in which 
bigotry manifests itself in like in a whole lot of ways you know even like little small things like oh man enjoy enjoying this car it's real cool that Muggle created a whole you know this whole society where they we have built cars and witches are like okay that's cool we'll just we'll use this right. that's rad have fun with climate change and cancer yeah and this is obviously going to come up a lot especially since this is the book where we get our n-word an- an analogy which is of course lol so yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like a lot of sci-fi and fantasy does that, where it's like, oh, the aliens are, like, black people or othered or whatever, but, like, then that same story won't have any black people in it. And you're like, all right, yeah, like, don't go to Mars and murder the natives, but, like, also, everyone is still white, and it's like, what are you going to talk about? Yeah. Anyway, so, I guess coming down to, like, using, being able to make that analogy with, like, white people like happens a lot in sci-fi and fantasy without necessarily explicitly being about like race but sort of being about like that structure in a way that's like okay but also how does race work in this situation (laughs) you know like yeah anyway we we will continue this conversation about how this muggles as minorities work so yeah it's time for which nsa watch in which the ministry knew that six muggles saw them flying the car so obviously they're watching right like it's like they were this muggle Mm -hmm. reported it to the police but like the police is not the witching world right so they're watching And again, it's one of those situations where, like, that's fucked up. But then it brings up these questions. Like, they knew that these children were flying a car and muggles were seeing them. And they didn't, for instance, dispatch some fucking people on brooms to go be like, no, get down from there. Yeah, I mean, they're up there for hours. There could have been many various kinds of, like, right, get some people on brooms. Send them an owl. (laughs) That says, get down from there. Like, so many options. <laughs> what is this? I mean, especially because Ron should have gotten a letter about using his wand to start the car and to open it. Harry got a letter immediately, literally two chapters ago, when someone else did a hovering charm in his house. Without a wand. Ron is using his wand multiple times. Being seen by muggles. Like, no one even saw Harry do this spell. Like, I mean, no one saw Dobby. Like, no one saw the spell done, right? It would have been so easy for it to just be like, he knocked the cake down, the pudding, the thing, you know, Mm -hmm. no one ever needed to know that magic took place. Whereas six muggles saw a fucking flying car. That is way worse. And as we said in the headlines, it's totally arbitrary who gets in trouble for what. Why isn't Ron in trouble? And this is, I think, comes down to where I think that author has spelled the car for that not to happen. And I don't know how, but he works for the ministry, and that's literally his apartment, so he probably knows how to, like, get around whatever the fuck thing they have in, like, in store to avoid that. Because it it doesn't even come back to him that it's, like, his car, even though it should because his son was driving it. I don't know 
what yeah how does the inquiry not result in him losing his job is like a really good question but that's a question for the next chapter but like yeah no it's this whole thing is like it's so absurd and it's like it's fucked up that like they know so quickly like which muggles saw the car where and like what they did about it that's fucked up because they're watching and that's fucked up but then also like they know all of that and like a reporter wrote a piece about it and got it into the evening profit before it was sent out and yet no one did anything about these children what are they doing i mean this this the, this, the end of this chapter should have been like a cliched car chase scene where there's like eight oars on brooms <laughs> like chasing after like Harry and Ron and this like Ford Angelica. It should have looked like the footage of like the OJ Simpson car chase is what it should have looked like. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> that would have been so much better. <laughs> Oh my god, I'm retconning it right now. That is what happens. <laughs> oh my god, that's so accurate and so much better than the real outcome of this. Wow, wow, wow. Okay. So yeah. Great. Welcome to Health and Science, where we talk about things that are loosely related to health and or science. I want to talk about how cold it is in the sky. (laughs) Yes. Um, Here's some information. The temperature goes down by five degrees per 1,000 feet in the air that you are. Cumulus clouds, which is what it sounds like they're above, occur at an elevation of 6,600 feet, which is... If it was 70 in London on September 1st, it would be 37 degrees where they're flying. And with wind chill, that's more like 15 degrees. So this is also kind of a correction because they spend a lot of time being really, really hot and sweaty when in reality they would be fucking freezing. And wouldn't it be hard to breathe? Yeah, the air would be super thin. Yeah, I'm like, that's the whole point of a a pressurized cabinet in in an airplane is that so you can breathe regularly. Apparently an average height for a helicopter flight is 8,000 feet. So, you know, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt that they're a little lower than a helicopter, but they might not have been. It's apparently around 13 degrees Fahrenheit at 8,000 feet if it's 70 on the ground with wind that's accounting for wind chill 13 degrees with wind chill so anyway it would be really fucking cold and anyone who has been in your car on a like winter day even if it's really sunny your car's still cold yeah so it's that's just incorrect and we'll we will revisit this information later on when they fly brooms through clouds Yep. Though at least at that point they acknowledge the fact that they're cold, which is better than this. Do they do the same thing with the Festrals too? Probably. I don't remember. <laughs> yep. Okay. What's next? <laughs> uh, I just have uh, a little bit of thing about the Whomping Willow, which 
So it, uh, you know, it attacks things that mm-hmm. come close, which is a pretty actually great adaptation for that plant mm-hmm. to do. And I don't know. I just think it's maybe sort of like, so there's plants that are sensitive plants. And when you touch them, that like leaves curl up. And so I feel mm-hmm. like that's probably what the Whomping Willow is just as a tree. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I, I don't think it's, you. I don't think it's sentient. I think it's just like a Venus flytrap or something where it's like, oh, something is crashed into me. Let me beat the shit out of it. Yeah, it's touch triggered. I agree. And now I'm thinking about plant reproduction. And if the Whomping Willow is a kind of tree that can asexually reproduce by putting out suckers, like, you know, little babies that come up from the roots, that also could hit you. If you tried to take them down, like, that shit could be more invasive than bamboo. (laughs) It could just, like, even if it was very slow, if it didn't put out a lot, like, over time, you could, I mean, you could just never take it down, you know? Yeah. You'd have to, like, I guess, freeze them and then take them down. Because, like, doesn't, it's like a, I don't know if they say it's a rare tree, but it's a very valuable tree. So it makes me wonder if there's, like, not a lot of them. Yeah, probably. Or it's, like, not even really a tree. This is true. It might just be, like, some sort of, like, magical automaton robot. (laughs) Because the whole, like, touch and special knot on its trunk and it freezes and opens up to a tunnel underneath it makes me feel like it's not actually something that's alive. I mean, maybe that would just put it near my Dumbledore, though. To a real tree. To a real tree. It's possible. Yeah. Or it could be that there are real whomping willows, but this one just isn't. This is for the next book. Let's stop. That's fair. Anyway, thank you for listening to Health and Science. (laughs) Thank you for listening to The Gaily Prophet. Here's a new request that we have. You guys, guess what? Turns out. Even better than leaving us reviews, though leaving us reviews is extremely helpful and we love it very, very much, is you talking to your friends about us and talking about us on social media. And we would really like for you to do that. So tell everyone you know about our podcast and share our shit in your Instagram stories. Fun fact, when you share a post put up by a quote-unquote business account on Instagram... We don't get notified that you shared it like you do on your personal Instagram account unless you tag us. So if you do share our shit, tag us because we want to be able to thank you and we will thank you and we'll like reshare your share and it'll be like a love fest. So do that and also talk about us on Facebook and anywhere that you want. You can talk about us on Twitter too, but we're not on Twitter anymore as you'll hear about momentarily when Jesse tells you about our socials. Yes, you can uh, find us on uh, Instagram and Facebook at The Gailey Prophet. Um, you can also shoot us an email at thegaileyprophet at gmail.com. Um, let us know what your Patronus form is. We would love to know. And of course, how that is impacted by your identity. We also would love to talk about that too. Um, and if you would like to support us financially we're on patreon at the gaily prophet you guys i really really want you to talk to us about the intersections of your 
Patroni and your most important identities, and I want to make a whole episode about it. Can you please get in touch with us about that? You can email us, you can contact us through our website, you can DM us, you can add us on Facebook or Instagram. Like, please, please tell us this information because that is like, I want that. Yes. Um, and then also don't say spirit animal unless you're a native person because that is not a thing that people who aren't native people should say about anything. So cool. Just a little PSA there. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> uh, if you want to follow me in between episodes, uh, I am on Twitter at Jesse underscore Detroit. And I am on, I'm on Instagram at live from Detroit. You can follow me at Radical Healer or at Lark Malachi on Instagram. You can also find me at LarkMalachi.com, which is L-A-R-K-M-A-L-A-K-A-I.com, where you can learn about all the different things that I do for work, which are varied and exciting. So check that out. You should definitely leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Facebook. So yeah, we really appreciate it. And we will thank you very enthusiastically for your review. And it makes us feel good about ourselves. So (laughs) you should go on and do that thing. Our show art is by Theo Julian Forrester, who you can find on Instagram at Theo Julian Forrester. Also, Theo makes the comics for our episodes every week, which are also to be found on Instagram and Facebook and on our website. If you haven't followed us and aren't seeing these comics, you are missing out. And that's sad. The music in our intro and spoiler warning are by Kevin McLeod. Our spoiler warning was recorded by Sarah Sarwar. Until next time. Forethought. TARDIS. Concierge. Cabin pressure. Thank you.